Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch, sponsored by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range podcast studio getting into the holiday spirit. This episode is one we're very excited about uh, just before the Christmas holiday. Don, you got any uh, big Christmas plans? No, I think we're going to stay, you know, nice and warm at home, I hope. (laughs) Hopefully. Yeah, I know uh, this year is presenting all kinds of challenges. And of course, the next round of challenges is the holidays for people trying to figure that all out. So uh, we got a good show lined up for you today in our shout out segment. We're going to talk about our city of the week, our equipment tip of the week. We've got another interesting, did you know, a really good listener question. And of course, Paige's power play. Our leadoff topic, we're going to talk about off-season conditioning and training and things that players, parents, and coaches should be thinking about. On our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about five rules to becoming a great sports parent, kind of uh, our little Christmas gift to our parent listeners uh, as we head into the holidays. And then we're going to finish up with our coaching tip of the week. We're going to take a good hard look at our coaching style and how the use of sarcasm is a trap that a lot of us fall into that... Uh, leads to uh, negative coaching. So we've got a really good show lined up. We're very excited about it. We're going to talk about our sponsors first off. Let's talk about Clean It Up. Clean It Up FP is the communication tool you need to use. It's going to solve your communication challenges, and it's a great way for you to solve uh, all those communication things within your team, within your organization, um, and it's a free app for your phone, and it's a great tool to use. I also want to talk about Patreon. Coach Don and I have been asking you for several months now to come on board as patrons. Uh, Patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch is a way for you to help support us. Uh, We are looking for patrons, people that can donate. If you're in a position where you can make a donation and help support us, it would be greatly appreciated. One of the things that uh, Coach Don and I have been trying to do is continue to improve and update and and grow what we're doing with Everything Fast Pitch and Coach Prep, and that has uh, some expenses attached to it. And if you can help us with that, that would be great. Um, If you go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch, it'll be explained to you there. So, Don, that's going to lead us into our warm-up topic. Our warm-up topic is sponsored by Nexair. Nexair is a Memphis-based industrial gas, medical gas, research gas, welding supply, and safety PPE supplier. With strategically placed retail locations, sales branches, and distribution centers throughout the southeast, Nexair is never too far away. They maintain centralized product warehouses to serve you better and be more reliable. Through our services, you can receive the products you need when you need them. Our fleet of trucks will get you the gas you need when you need it. If you're interested in any Nexair product or service, or just want to talk through your options, please get in touch. Our customer care team at 888-639-2474 will help you find the branch or outside sales rep in your area. Please reach out to Nexair. They'll take care of all your needs. So our city of the week, Don, is Ottawa, Illinois. I know you were a little confused by that. <laughs> Ottawa, yeah, there's, uh, again, Ottawa, Canada. We yeah. have lots of Canadian yeah, listeners. We're, so. we're trying to get Don on board with the fact that not everything is about Canada. Not but of course, Canada. Uh, his Canadian roots always seem to shine through. But we want to say thank you to our, our listeners in Ottawa. Um, we continue to ask you to spread the word about everything fast pitch. Tell your friends, players, coaches, people that you know that are fast pitch fans. Uh, to give everything fast pitch a listen, we would truly appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate the folks in Ottawa, Illinois, um, spreading the word and uh, seeing our numbers increase there is really exciting. Um, our numbers continue to grow, and that's something that, uh, of course, the podcast business is all about the numbers. And so if you can help us increase our listenership, we would really appreciate that. So, Don, our player of the week, again, we are on a pause now for another couple of weeks. We're going to kick back off with the player of the week once we ki- get into 2021. 
Um, but we're looking for nominations. So if you have a player that you'd like to nominate, I realize that not very much softball is being played right now, but there's all kinds of end of the semester uh, things going on, a lot of school stuff. Uh, if you have a player that you'd like to recognize for outstanding accomplishments in the classroom or in the community um, here in the holiday season, I know we have a lot of teams, a lot of players that get involved with doing different community service projects. They're out there uh, sharing at this time of the year, especially. So if you have anybody on your team, anybody that you're aware of that you would like to nominate for the player of the week, we would love to hear about it, whether it's an on-field accomplishment or something out there in the community. So Don, our Square Cuts training discs, uh, we're getting close. They're still on the way. I know. I know. It's it's one of those things that uh, 2020 has been a very challenging year. And of course, uh, you and I would pick this as the time for us to launch a product that we have to get manufactured overseas. That was our idea, um, right? And uh, yeah. of course, when we first started uh, down this path, we were looking at uh, six or eight weeks to get stuff here and ready to go. And now, of course, it's six or eight months and uh, we're still slogging away on it. But uh, the Square Cuts training disc is is our first fast pitch prep training tool. Great tool that uh, we're very excited about. Um, we're uh, going to be doing some listener discounts and some specials for our listeners to get them out there. We've got about 15 people now that are using them from the prototypes that we had, and the feedback is 100% positive. The one thing that is really exciting to me is that uh, for a lot of the people that have them, they've been taking them to practices with other teams, taking them to their high school coach to look at, taking them to their son's baseball coach to look at. And everybody's response has been, hey, those are great. When can I get them? Those are great. Where can I get them? And so um, every time I hear that, it really excites me to think that we're on something that is going to really be a great tool that people are going to really enjoy using. We'll keep it listed as coming soon, right? Absolutely. Yep. Um, our did you know, Don, we've been talking about records that will never be broken. So the career record for the number of games at the Division One level is 304 games. Think about that number for a second. Games played by a player. Yeah, and for one player. So her career record, her name is Stephanie Christofferson. She played at the University of Illinois, Chicago from 1998 to 2001. But think about that. That's 75 plus plus games a year. 75, 76. 70, I mean, when we think about that now in comparison to the number of games kids are playing, it's kind of a shocker. Um, And it's one of the reasons why this topic, I think, is kind of fun for us. Uh, When we changed the rules about how many games a team could play in a year, obviously we knew it was going to impact the record book. But if you look through the Division I records, there's about a dozen that we're going to talk about over the course of time that I think have no chance of ever being broken. Well, I was going to say that really ties in and, and puts light on uh, you know, just exactly what you're saying, how it's going to be almost impossible to break those records. Right. They're, you know, they're uh, going to stay and stand. The idea that uh, we need a line in the record book of before and after or something like that. And again, it's an amazing accomplishment when you think about it. And one of the things that struck me about this record is when you think about a player playing 75, 76 games a year, you wouldn't think it's a player from Chicago. Right. You wouldn't think of it being a player from the Midwest. You would have thought it would have been a Florida, Georgia, Tennessee school, Southern California school, someplace where the weather's cooperative. So I think that kind of puts into perspective how dedicated the program at UIC is, how how serious they were about getting out and playing. They had to travel, probably. And, and how much they yeah. traveled to play that schedule. So I'm going to be willing to bet that probably up until maybe April 1st, they were on the highway on, in, at the airport heading down uh, south, heading out west to play to get those games in. So did you know the career record in Division One for games played is 304? 
So our listener question, Don, comes to us from Tanya. Tanya's question was uh, a very lengthy email, but basically to sum it up is that her daughter really struggles hitting off the pitching machine, but she hits really well in every other scenario. And she's curious if we have any suggestions or thoughts about why that is or, or what the why or why her daughter struggles so much with the pitching machine. I'll tell you what, I think that's a great swap. I think it's wonderful if she, she hits comfortably in the games but has challenging times with the machine. Uh, yeah. You know, the machines, again, are an interesting thing, and everybody's a little bit different. Timing is, uh, you know, all about hit, hitting's timing. And if you can create good timing, um, you're in good shape. A lot of times the uh, pitching machines, in particular the one-wheel jug, Creates a lot of a, a lot of a rise spin, the back spin, right? And I think that kind of deceives our hitters. You know, depending on uh, what machine she's using, what kind of uh, you know distance that they're you know setting themselves back, and uh, you know if it is that she's just getting under it, then that's uh, you know likely something that's happening is that ball's spinning so much that she's getting underneath it, and that could be it. But if it's more about you know initiating and and having good timing in regards to being late then, uh, you know, that's something that I think she can work on and she can conquer. And it sounds like she's got good hand-eye skills and good batting situationally. Otherwise, I think she's going to be fine as long as she gets a chance to make some adjustments. And um, and it's good that we're talking about it. That's right. Good. Well, one of the things that uh, I think the pitching machine is one of those all-or-nothing, good news, bad news kinds of tools. And I think that there's a lot of reasons why coaches and, and some instructors like the idea of using pitching machines because it saves wear and tear on the arm. It's a way to get uh, higher speeds. It's a way to you know, maybe get more consistency so that they can work on a very specific location. You know, if you set up a pitching machine and you've got pretty consistent uh, quality of balls as you're using it, you can aim it for that outside corner and stay on that outside corner pitch after pitch. So I think there's reasons why people like it. I am not a fan I do not You've like never pitching been machines, a fan I've, and I never have yeah, been. Yeah. Um, going all the way back to when I first started, I can remember everybody's big push was, "Well, you got to get a jugs machine. You got to get a jugs machine." No, you know, we don't have anybody that can pitch as fast as the fastest pitchers. Of course, we got one. I mean, I have to admit, you know, at one point in time for our camp business, I think I owned eight jugs machines. Sure, because when we would set up for the big camps, you know, we'd want to have a lot of stations yeah, and reps. things like that. And, yeah. And we would, uh, ultimately, though, we ended up using them just for bunting drills. We never used them for hitting drills in camps, or and I never use them in, in lessons. Because I think that there's something innate in the timing aspect that you mentioned, Don, about seeing the arm movement, you know, having an idea of when the ball is going to come out of the hand of the pitcher, whether it's a full windmill delivery, whether it's a front toss delivery, um, whether it's just a you know, soft toss, you know, little flip. Um, there's something, something for the to hitters yeah, yeah. To, to use as a triggering mechanism, a timing mechanism that allows them to connect when they should be doing certain things in their swing that I don't think you always have with the machine. Now, you know, and again, there's a lot of different machines out there, but whether it's the Jugs one wheel, the Jugs three wheel, Rookie, A-tech. any of those, the A-Tech yeah. Rookie, yeah. Um, any of those, you know, you kind of drop the ball in a shoot and then it miraculously appears out of the machine somehow. And so like for the Jugs machine, you know, the only thing you have is the thump of the wheel grabbing the ball to time zero to 60 right yes. and, I, and i see people trying to do this thing where you know like you simulate the arm circle windmill and kind of like windmill it into the machine but it's still not the same right so for tanya i guess i would tell you you know don mentioned it at the very beginning if your choice is we can uh, struggle with the machine and hit good on game day that's a good swap. Or, or or crush <laughs> the machine and and struggle on game day i think your daughter's in the right place and it might just be that uh, some of the things that she's doing timing wise she really needs the 
ability to see that arm in motion and have a better feel for when the ball is going to come out of the pitcher's hand. Well, and hopefully whoever's feeding that machine can be pretty consistent in what they're doing and create that ability to get the timing because right. I've seen times when you know people are fumbling around in the chute for the you know for the pitching machine and the batter's like doing a little chutter step with their front foot. Yeah, the, the double tap, triple yeah, tap, yeah, quadruple just, tap, trying to figure out when, when, you know, when, when the ball's actually going to get delivered. Let it go. So, yeah, yeah so I, I totally get it. And, and so and for those of you that use the pitching machines, I'm not saying that there's no value in it at all because I think that there can be. Um, but again, to my way of thinking, I think any real strong hitting program, any uh, really good training for hitters is going to include at least majority of time or at least some time with something that looks like real pitching. And again, not everybody can throw the full windmill motion, but I think everybody can learn how to do it well enough that we can get some benefit from it. And again, for our coaching friends, um, whether it's you're throwing a full windmill or you're just doing a pendulum pendulum swing, you know, slingshot kind of thing where we're just, you know, rocking back and forth. Either way, I think the hitters are getting a better timing mechanism from that. So Tanya, don't worry. Um, you know, and if it's really important or if it's one of those things, I'm she guessing. She wants to show well. Yeah, and, and I yeah. think that's probably what the what motivated the email was that uh, I'm sure they're working at practice and some kids who are killing Not, it on the machine and, and really having much more fun at practice when they're doing it. Because you and I have both seen it with some kids on a machine, you know, that they'll, you know, swing and miss badly on, you know, 15, 20, 25 pitches in a row. They're just not figuring out, they're not wired to make the adjustments right away off the machine that they make when they see uh, somebody pitching the ball to them. And I think that there's a lot of pain and anguish that goes with that. If you're like the worst kid at something at practice, you're not having fun. And it's tough to turn it around. Right. So tell her to, uh, if she's struggling with the way she feels at practice, if they're doing a lot on the pitching machine, just to point to her stats from the game. <laughs> and, and get some bunts down and continue to work at it. Right. I'm sure she'll do well here soon. Absolutely. So Don, that's going to take us into this week's edition of Paige's Power Play. Hey, it's Paige here, and I want to talk about how who you spend your time with determines your success. Okay, I am positive that a huge part of my success this far in life and in sports and as an athlete is because of who I surround myself with. Okay. Here are there here are just a few groups and people that I have put myself around to be successful, inspired, supported, pushed, motivated, all these things. So I have Northwestern softball, my mom and dad, my boyfriend, CrossFit Incendia, which is my gym, which led me to my first two jobs, my boyfriend and my current coach today. Um, uh, my, my own coach, Amanda Walker, the inner circle, which is a part of a group coaching program. I'm a part of my mindset coach collab girls, which are some girls that I work with. This would be kind of like your teammates, FCA, my closest friends, again, might be something like your teammates and a mastermind that I was a part of these groups and people have made a significant impact on my life. And I would totally not be where I am without them. And I would not be going where I'm going without them. Who you spend your time with matters, okay? Even if it's your friends and your teammates, like who you spend the most time with matters. If you've ever spent time with anyone or any groups that bring you down or make you feel small or they're leading you in the wrong direction, you know why this matters because it doesn't feel good, right? At church one week, they talked about how cutting away things or people is mandatory for growth, even if it's painful. There are going to be times where you're going to have to let go of a relationship, a friendship, a group, um, and it's going to hurt, but it's necessary for your growth. I want this to be a reminder to always, always trust your gut. 
Trust that voice inside that will lead you to the people and that voice uh, inside that is telling you to let go of people you need to cut away. Surround yourself with positive, loving, caring, supportive, motivating, inspiring groups and people because you will not regret it. So who are your people? We want to know. Tell us who your people are, those people that, um, that you've surrounded yourself that are making a big impact on you. If you need an amazing group of girl athletes led by a mentor, I know of one. Crazy, right? The Confident Athlete Mini Camp and my Confident Athlete Program, we are a group of girl athletes and myself as the mentor who want, they want more out of themselves. They want confidence and they want to become the best versions of themselves. So if that sounds like a part, a group that you want to be a part of, like you need to get yourself in there because you want to spend your time with people who are going to help you succeed. So if that's something that you're interested in, sign up for the mini camp or apply for the Confident Athlete on my website, pagetons.com. Start surrounding yourself with people that are going to help you succeed. Have an amazing day. Keep on keeping on. So we're really excited to have Paige on board. Please check out all her stuff at pagetons.com, T-O-N-Z. Uh, she's a rock star and uh, doing a great job with helping kids build their confidence and become more successful players. So Don, our leadoff topic is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite Sporting Goods is located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also contact them at EliteSportsOrders at Yahoo.com. Anything you need, bats, balls, gloves, uh, spirit wear, uniforms, they can hook you up. Uh, now, they are closed for the holidays starting uh, Christmas through New Year's, uh, but right after the first of the year, get back in touch with the folks at Elite and they'll hook you up. So, Don, our leadoff topic is the idea of off-season physical training. So not so much the stuff that you and I do with the lessons and the hitting and the pitching and the throwing, that kind of stuff, but more of the strength and conditioning, the speed and agility kind of stuff. I had a couple of different people reach out with ideas uh, or really questions about how much should they be doing, what's kind of a realistic uh, level of expectation, and what kinds of things would we recommend, you know, just kind of a thumbnail sketch of things that kids should be doing to help them with their physical conditioning. No, I think that's a great, uh, a great topic for us, Tori. I know this time of year is really the only time of year that I can think of that we have a good opportunity to to do some different things and not be harmful or um, impede, you know, the the weekend tournament and regular practice routine. You know, the weight room is something I think is beneficial for everybody, you know, after they finish growing. If they're able to utilize that through the winter months, that we can gain some strength and things like that that uh, we might otherwise not not tap into and not really hinder our training. So this would be the time of year, you know, November, December, January, in particular, you know, February, a lot of the middle down states are going to start getting outside probably in February. This is the best time for us to do that stuff. And I think it, for those that have an interest in it, I think it's important to do it, to keep it in a reasonable fashion, not to overdo anything. And when we talk about maxes and things like that, I hate for us to uh, get in a situation where we're doing one rep maxes. I would say, yeah. you know, if you can't do it three, three, four, five times, that should be your heaviest weight. If you can't do it five times, you're too heavy. Just be mindful about our our sport needs and not doing things that are behind our head, you know, no behind the neck presses and no pull downs behind the neck. Other than that, I think, uh, you know, just a good well-rounded routine might be something exciting and fun for the kids to get into and 
you know, pitching coaches might exclude some shoulder and upper body things, but, uh, you know, to incorporate that with a good stretching program, I think this time of year is when we'd want to do it. Absolutely. One of the things that, uh, to my way of thinking is always a challenge because it's you know, like everything else we talk about, there's always this balancing act going on. Faster and stronger and is always different. better. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Fa- but faster and stronger is always better. So if you can be faster, if you can be stronger, there's going to be a direct benefit in how you play this game. Sure. And the, 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 the balancing act, though, is um, how do you fit that training into your overall plan? And as you were saying, how do you fit that in that's not potentially detrimental to what you're doing or trying to do during your game season? Because uh, obviously going into the weight room on Friday morning and uh, you know killing your legs or killing your upper body with a really massive workout and then showing up Saturday game. morning to play a 9 o'clock start uh, could be a little bit of a uh, of a challenge, and uh, and again, you know, one of the things I think that uh, you know you and I have to really be thinking about is the people that are asking these questions are not working with those eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old college kids that we worked with, right. you know, which are done growing, fairly developed, committed athletes that have you know probably already spent some time on strength and conditioning, so that when they get into a college program and that's all part of their overall plan, yearly workout, they're, they're yeah. used to it. Um, you know, I think, you know, now we've got people that are looking at, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old kids, uh, you know, even as, well, what should they be doing? You know, how much weight should they be lifting? How much should they be, you know, going to the gym kinds of things? What I would say is I think there's a couple of things that all players should definitely be focusing on. You mentioned it earlier is flexibility is number one. You know, flexibility is important because, you know, the greater the range of motion, all those different things are going to help a player be more successful on the field. It's injury prevention too. And yeah. keep them on the field. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the thing. Um, you know, one of the groups that I work with, one of the local travel teams here has incorporated yoga into their nice. off-season training. A couple of the kids have posted, you know, Facebook videos or whatever of them uh, uh, doing some of the different yoga workouts. And, and I think that's one that's got a lot of potential because yoga obviously is going to help us with the flexibility, but it also helps us with strength. But so I think there's different ideas along those lines. You know, I think one of the things, unfortunately, is for a lot of us, you know, when you and I were coming up through the ranks, the idea of getting stronger meant one thing, lifting weights. Right. And a lot of times lifting bigger weights, heavy weights, um, to try to, you know, get as powerful as we possibly could. And again, for our younger athletes, you know, uh, I think sometimes we have to find a little bit of a cautionary Good balance. Yeah, cautionary place in there where we're, you know, working on getting stronger without doing anything foolish. No, I think that's uh that's awesome. But yeah, and again, as you mentioned, you know, bigger, stronger, I think it probably inhibited a lot of us when we were growing up, you know, being uh, less flexible and, yeah. and not quite as uh, agile, maybe. And when I, I know just personally, I'm the least flexible person I know, struggling with not it now that, your I'm, toes. that I'm older. <laughs> oh, no. I, well, this is how bad it is for me. And, and I think some of it's because of all these years of pitching. I cannot lay flat on the floor. I cannot put my head and my butt on the floor at the same time. I've got so much of a arc in my back that no, eventually, like like if I lay there for you know, see 10, as you describe it, I'm I'm thinking oh. if I lay there for like ten, twelve minutes, eventually I will relax enough and the muscles will stretch out enough that I can actually put my butt and my head on the floor. And, and I know people are like, "What are you talking about? That's so simple." But when you're as old and brittle as I am. It's one of those things, and of course, you know, I've had you know, you know some back issues and things like that, you know, over the course of my year years. But I think uh, just be that inflexible that you know that you can't even do something obviously normal is the result of all these years of softball, baseball stuff just taking you know taking their toll. 
So flexibility is one. I think all kids could be working on that, whether it's just some static stretching in the morning when they get up and a little bit before they go to sleep at night, making sure that they're stretching well in uh, anticipation of and after they're done with um, practices and, and workouts. I think that's a really good idea. If they want to do something like yoga, um, you know, Pilates, those kinds of things. Some kind um, of aerobics. Yeah, yeah. Those, those kinds of things. I think those are all good for flexibility. Now, speed is another thing I think that we can be working on, you know, the speed they and agility together. idea. Yeah. Flexibility is obviously one, but I think speed and agility is another one that we can be working on that's fairly low risk, you know, whether it's a really high-tech program or low-tech is a jump rope and lines of uh, duct tape on the garage floor. But I think speed and agility is something that, that all players can be working on and less likely to create any kind of real injury. You know, I think you can get some wear and tear, you can get shin splints, all those kinds of things. Um, but I think it's less likely that you're going to do something in a speed and agility program that's going to put you on the shelf and have you like out for a while. And I think that, and I like what you're saying there, Tori, for sure, is that the last place we want to get injured is, you know, doing some of these extra things. Right. If we get hurt, it needs to be in the sport. Yeah. If you yeah. Uh, sprain an ankle running the bases or something like that. That's, that's one, thing. one thing. But if you tear yeah. yourself up doing a workout in the gym, that's a, yep. a whole different level of frustration. But so speed and agility is something else I think should be you know, incorporated. incorporated and something yep. that's easy to do and something that you don't have to be a gym member. You don't have to spend tons and tons of money. You know, one of the things that... Uh, you have to um, be committed and have a routine. Right. Yeah. Well, and one of the things, we, yeah. we had uh, our, you know, our guests from Interpro on a while back, and I meant to you know kind of tie them into this discussion because Interpro is... Uh, uh, again, it's an app for your phone, fairly affordable program that you know, covers speed and agility. It covers a mental game. It covers nutrition. Nutrition, and, yeah. And so something like that, I think, is a really good investment. But you know, that's going to have that speed and agility component. It's going to have that flexibility component, and it's also going to have a little bit of the third piece, which is the power. Now, the power is the one thing that, you know that you mentioned earlier, and I think it's you know worth you know saying again. You know, we want to make sure though that anything that we're setting our players up with anything that we're asking them to do is taught correctly supervised enough that uh, that they're Regularly. not going to do something yeah. crazy and and one of the things that uh, you know over all my years of of coaching there was a stretch for a long time where I had to be my own strength coach for sure because you know the uh, the schools that I worked at did not have you know somebody in those positions and then we got to where we had a part-time strength coach, somebody that could spend a little bit of time with us, but we still had to supervise the kids ourselves. And then moved into the, you know, finally, thank God for the full-time strength coach that their whole life revolved around helping our players be stronger, faster, more flexible. It was just a weight off your shoulders, right? <laughs> right. And partly because even though I felt fairly comfortable, I felt pretty knowledgeable, I did enough research I didn't think anything I was asking my players to do was going to hurt them. There was always still that little bit of doubt about, am I giving them enough recovery time? Am I putting together a really good program that's doing more good than harm? And so finally getting to pass that baton to somebody that really does know what's going on was, was really a weight off of my shoulders and, and, and a relief. But so I think something like Interpro could be a great tool because if you're out there trying to help your own kid and you're not experienced, you don't have much knowledge, you don't have the uh, tools in the toolbox to do a good job with it, you know, tapping into something like that, I think, is a really good idea. No, I like that they're, that's what they do, right? That's, right. That's their thing. And, and they are doing that with many, many athletes. So they've yep. got uh, the trial and error already done. Yeah. But so for our parents and coaches, if, if we want our kids to be stronger, more powerful, as always, we're just talking about taking a cautious 
and uh, logical approach. You know, kids throwing really big weights around, lifting really big numbers. Uh, and again, it's relative. If you're a you know a 50 pound kid doing a 25 pound bench press, is probably a pretty heavy weight. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. when you think about it, if you're if you're a hundred pound kid, you know, squatting a hundred pounds is a big weight. And so if we're, you know, we're throwing around big numbers and, and asking kids to lift and to do some of this stuff without really good supervision or without really good science behind what we're doing, just be careful, be cautious, and uh, don't assume that uh, something that you did or something that you've seen other people do makes it the right program makes and yeah. makes it, yeah, it makes sense is a, is a great way to put it, Don. So, Tori, I was going to say, with, uh, with some of the possibly new listeners that are listening now, you just mentioned Interpro. We've had a lot of great discussions in previous podcasts with uh, really knowledgeable people right. and a lot of exciting topics. And um, for some of the new listeners to go back and listen to some of those, I think it'd be really helpful and informational uh, for them to kind of catch up with this, right? It's it's really a blessing, and one of the things that we've wanted to try to accomplish with Everything Fast, which is to get as much information out there for our listeners as possible, certainly fall back on our experiences and our knowledge and try to share that as much as we can. But, you know, even at uh, 60 years old, I don't know all there is to know about all these things, even though I've spent, you know, 45 years coaching. And there's always new people like Interpro. Right. Yeah. And, and, and new technology. I think, you know, the thing that, you know, for old guys like us, you know, the whole information that's at your fingertips on a daily basis for players and coaches now is kind of shocking and, and amazing and, and cool. You know, it's, totally. it's cool. Yeah. Um, but so we want to take advantage of it. So your off-season physical training, for those of you that are asking, Definitely flexibility, definitely speed and agility, and power and explosiveness with some caution and some care and some expert help, I think, is a good way to approach it. Yeah. Well, and then they say, too, and this is going to just be a follow-up on that, is that, uh, you know, once we do get involved in a routine like that, we have to do a maintenance. Once we get done with this winter uh, session, that um, some type of a maintenance program to maintain a lot of the gains that you've got through these right. through these months is going to be important. And all that is is uh, managing, you know, once a week doing some of the activities that you're currently doing, you'll maintain a lot of the gains you get. So, right. Yeah. So, so hopefully that helps all of our listeners that were asking questions about uh, the off-season physical training stuff. So that's going to take us into our cleanup topic. Don, our cleanup topic is something I stole off the internet. I saw this uh, article and I just uh, thought it was worth our time and and worth a little bit of time to discuss is five rules to becoming a great sports parent. Cool. And one of the things, you know, I I think that uh, um, every once in a while, it feels like we spend a lot of time bashing parents. And I don't mean for it to come across that way. But I think all of us know that there are just like there are great coaches and uh, bad coaches, there are great parents and not so great parents. Just shining a light on it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that we've come to grips with is that by talking about some of this stuff you know, for, for you and I, for sure, you know, some of these topics, it's like a digging deep into your soul and looking at uh, things that you've done or mistakes that you've made and things like that. I've said a dozen times, I wish I knew then what I know now. So hopefully we can share some of this, you know, maybe make everybody enjoy the softball experience a little bit more, have a little bit more fun playing fast pitch softball um, so that you and your kids can enjoy it a little bit more. But so uh, this article had five rules goes against one of our rules a little bit about the uh, stop saying don't. I'm going to use their terminology just the way it's written. Even you know, I think that uh, as we have these discussions, uh, maybe we'll have to kind of twist this a little bit to stand the test of our, uh, of our own rules. But uh, number one is that you should not live vicariously through your kid. 
right? And you know, one of the things that we see all the time is that parent that um, maybe is a little bit frustrated with their own athletic career, maybe felt a little bit cheated, maybe felt a little bit left out or whatever it might be, a little, you know, a little short, bit short of their hopes. Yeah. yeah, that a lot of those parents are then the ones that are so amped up and so over the top with their own kids that they're clearly trying to live their own dreams through the experiences of their kids. That's tough, Tori, because, I mean, we're all in it together, and it is a together experience, but I know what you're saying is not to, not to be overboard and, right. and, and try and push too hard. Well, and the one thing that uh, you know, I think is, is really challenging is to, to separate the fact that your child's success or failure is really not your success or failure. I think that's the thing that is hard to do. Um, <laughs> it is. But, separate, but, but yeah. I think it's, it's the key to this whole thing is that if you know, we can let our kids play the game, succeed or fail. To whatever level. At, and whatever is their best that day then we just have to be able to, you know, see it, enjoy it, learn from it, and move on without it becoming this personal assault on our adultness, our parenting <laughs> skills, uh, because our, our kids struggled at the plate or, or made an error in the field. It's not, not necessarily, yeah, I like that, Tori, because it's, it's not our failure if they have a tough day. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I've but seen... We, but we take, we take some type of ownership or some responsibility in it. Right. Well, and I think, unfortunately, what ends up happening, because for some parents, they are so involved that when their kid messes up, it is like a personal attack. A it's, like, it's like, how dare you embarrass me by playing poorly? How dare you embarrass me by striking out? How dare you, you know, waste all my time and effort and energy that I'm investing in you by not playing well today? At an optimum level, yeah. Right. And I'm a long way removed from from coaching. You know, my my son's 32 years old now, and it's been a long time since he's been an athlete. But I can remember, you know, sitting in the stands watching him, you know, struggle at the plate for a game or or make an error in the field, and just it was like getting punched right in the stomach. You know, I mean, I I I, I can still remember that. So uh, so rule number one of becoming a great sp- sports parent is don't live vicariously through your kid. Number two is don't coach your kids from the stands we've or the seen, sidelines. We've seen it. I'm, even in college, we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of times they're just trying to stay involved, trying to help. Right. I mean, they're, they're trying to help. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it, it, I think all of these things come from a good place. It's not like uh, I think parents are laying in bed at night thinking, how can I make my kid miserable? How can, or how I, can sabotage, I ruin my kid's life? Or how how can I ruin their event? athletic experience? But the one thing that uh, we've talked about this topic quite a bit, so um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, some of our listeners might want to go back if this is something that really hits yeah. close to home for them. But by coaching your kid from the sidelines, you're undermining what their coaches are saying. The thing I've always come back to is if you've chosen a team for your kid to play on, you've chosen a coach to coach your kid, we have to give them the confidence and the credit for being able to do the best they can while they're doing it. Now, if if that means you want to you know, still work with your kid, you know, at home in the driveway, you want to go out to the field, you know, in between practices and work on some things, there's nothing wrong with that. But on game day, uh, when your kid's out there playing in the heat of battle, let them hear one voice instead of hearing two or three or four voices. No, I was going to say too, and and to your point, Tori, sometimes we're doing things in the middle of that game that might 
be contradicted by the feedback parents are given. Oh, they, absolutely. They, yeah, they weren't involved in the pregame meeting or pep talk. Yeah, right. Yeah, if your your strategy today is everybody's taking a strike because this pitcher is really wild, and we want to see if we can't help ourselves, you know, have a chance to be more successful by you know working deeper into the count, and making the pitcher work, and dad screaming at you know, at their kid, jump you know, on it, swing early. at the first pitch. Yeah. You should always swing at the first pitch. You be know. aggressive. And, and yeah. again, that's just an example. You know, my my that's not my philosophy. Would never be take pitches. Right. Um, but if if my philosophy is get up there hacking, she's a first pitch first. You know, fastball you know, down the middle, down the middle, first pitch pitcher. You need to get hacking. If I'm telling you in that uh, in that team meeting before we start, you know, she's coming right at you. You need to get hacking. You know, you should swing at the first three pitches, no matter what. And dad's in the stands, or mom's in the stands, going, you know, make sure it's your dream pitch. We wait for your perfect pitch, or whatever it is. You know, yeah. we're again, we're just you know fighting each other, and, and and sometimes I don't think we even realize that we're doing it. Sure. So, and it's just a distraction. Yeah. And, and you know, the kid's got enough going on already yeah. for them to not have to try to decide, should I listen to my coach who's supposed to be in charge or the person who gave me life? Right. <laughs> you know? So number three is don't undermine your kid's coaches. And this is another one kind of goes along the same lines. Um, if I'm coaching my kid from the stands, I am kind of undermining my kid's coaches. But I think this is more of the on the car ride home. I was going to say. Uh, around the, the dinner table, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, because I think then, you know, that's a much more insidious kind of... And I think there's ways to discuss the game and talk about philosophy and stuff like that without creating a, a, a sense of doubt in the coach's next choices, right. you know? We can sugarcoat it enough to still teach them things that we think might uh, be beneficial, you know, down the road without, uh, like you say, undermining their thoughts and their approach to the game too. Yeah, and, and I think you're, you're hitting on a really important uh, point is that there's ways to accomplish that. There's ways to help your child see the picture more clearly without coming off with, uh, well, your coach is an idiot, or right. your coach doesn't know what they're doing. Well, you know, I can't believe your coach did this, or I can't believe your coach did that. You can reinforce your child. You can support your child um, without... You yeah, know, throwing a, a hand grenade and not blowing up the whole thing. See, by, this might have been a different way to approach that situation. Right. And, yeah. Well, and, and you know, a good example is one of the players that I work with. I work with her on hitting and on pitching. We had the opportunity to play against her team the other day, and of course, you know, she came into her next lesson. She wanted to know what I thought about how she pitched and how I thought she, you know, she performed. Rule number one is I think you need to throw your change up more because I think that pitch is you know really effective. really effective, and I think it, yeah. it sets up everything else that you throw. And her response was, well, you know, I have nothing to do with that. My coach just calls what they want. So I've tried to use that as an opportunity. And I could have gone the, well, your coach is an idiot. You should throw your change up more. Right. But it says like, well, did you talk to your coach about how you know, good you feel about your change up? How confident. Yeah. yeah. You know, did you think about you know, having a discussion with your coach about how you know, when you throw your change up, it feels like everything else is more effective? It sets up my, my right. other pitches. And, yeah. and, and so it'd be real easy to just pile on and say your coach is an idiot. But if all of a sudden we turn around and say, okay, whether your coach is an idiot or not is not the point. The point is that there's a way for you to communicate and, and share your opinion in a more positive and productive manner. And maybe style their approach a little differently. Right. Yeah. And so if you have that discussion and then all of a sudden your coach goes, well, wait a second, you know, now that I think about it a little bit differently, is the one thing I think that happens, and this is, you know, why when we talk about the parent perspective, is from a parent, the only thing I'm thinking about is what my kid is doing. Right. For the most part. I know That's what my kid's strengths centered. are. I know what my yeah. kid's weaknesses are. You know, I, you know if, if I know my kid is the worst bunter 
in history and their coach keeps calling on her to bunt, I'm going to get frustrated with the coach because I know she's not good at bunting. Well, the coach might be looking at it going, well, right now, bunt is the right strategy, and I would expect everybody to be able to do it. Well, your coach has got 10 or 12 or 14 or 16 or 20 players on the roster, and sometimes it's not that easy for a coach to, in the heat of the moment, go through the mental Rolodex and go, wait a second. Was she the really good one? Or? Don's yeah. a pretty good bunter, right? Oh, wait a second. No, Don stinks at bunting. Right. And to always have that, you know, that information right there at the, at the front of their mind right when they need it. Well, from the parent perspective, it's like the only thing I'm thinking about is what my kid's good at. So, you know, it's, that's my focus. And so sometimes I think we have to understand that the, co- the coach's focus is not necessarily always going to be the same. It's detailed. And it's also yeah. going to be geared much more, in, and I think most of the time, in what's better for the team instead of what's better for my kid. And I think the parent's perspective is almost always going to be what's better for my kid. And if that helps the team, that's okay. Absolutely. And so, and again, it's just human nature that that's how we are. So to make yourself a better sports parent is, you know, figure out ways to, you know, encourage your kid to share their opinion, to have those discussions, to talk to their coaches about things that they would be comfortable doing and would be likely to make them more successful without the, uh, your coach is an idiot. You know, I can't believe they did that kind of attitude that I think, unfortunately, a lot of us carry. We got that good communication. Okay, rule number four for becoming a better sports parent is stop yelling at the umpires. But they're not doing a good job, Tori. Well, and that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of times they're not. In my opinion, right? A lot of times they're not. But by being that parent that's always blaming the umpire, that every pitch that your daughter throws is really a strike, you know, letting your daughter think that uh, she's never thrown a bad pitch. We lost that you know, game because right. they don't and, have and, a and, you know, strike you know, And just yeah. using the, the pitching aspect of it, you know, this is one of the things that just cracks me up. Because I work with, you know, a lot of hitters. And, you know, a percentage of them are pitchers. And another percentage of them are catchers. And here's the thing that I've always thought is so amazing to me. That players will be irate at a pitch that gets called a strike when they're hitting that they think is a strike all day when, when they're, they're pitching, pitching. Well, or sure. catching. Yeah. And so if the players are that blind to it, you know, if if a if a player is, you know, convinced that a pitch that's, you know, really solid on the outside corner of the plate, you know, on the on the shut three color plate, it's not even green, it's yellow. You know, it's it's close to a Clear, pitch clearly uh, yeah. a strike. Yeah, it's close to a pitch that the pitcher should be really, you know, scared that they threw. And in that hitter's mind, well, there's no way. That's, that's a foot outside. If our hitters can be that stuck in it and that hard-nosed about it or hard-headed about it, obviously the parents can fall into that same trap. And so if you're one of those parents that every time an umpire calls a strike against your kid, you're like, oh, come on, Blue, what are you, crazy? <laughs> or every time your daughter's pitching and every pitch she throws that doesn't get put in play is supposed to be a strike, you know, then I think we're kind of setting our players up for a, uh, an unfortunate attitude and unfortunate perspective on how the game's going to get played. Well, I think sometimes they feel like they do have a positive effect when they rally up together and get on umpires and that they create pressure that's going to make a better environment for them throughout that game. But it doesn't always work that way, and a lot of times it backfires. And, right. You know, the one that really has a true perspective on, on how that umpire needs to be dealt with is the coaches. You know, they've been dealing with them from um, the home plate meeting to in between innings to, you know, they're they're strategizing and trying to navigate, you know, the whole game. And sometimes that can undermine it when fans 
start interjecting and trying to play a role in that, right? Yeah, and just pile it on. And yeah, so, it's tough. Um, so stop yelling at the umpires. And number five is really simple. If you need to, start at number one again. <laughs> there you go. Okay, right? so <laughs> stop living vicariously through your kid. Stop coaching your kid from the stands. Stop undermining your kid's coaches and stop yelling at umpires. If we can do those four things, you're going to be a better sports parent. You're going to have a whole lot more fun. And again, if we're getting stuck on one, and for me, the hardest one for me is always going to be stop yelling at the umpires. <laughs> and I'm working on it, but it still seems to just be one of those things that no matter how hard I try, eventually some stupid thing happens <laughs> that, I get, that I get frustrated with. Well, but so, they start it, right? Uh, they started it. No, they really don't. <laughs> so, but so five rules to becoming a better sports parent. Again, stop living vicariously through your kids. Stop coaching your kid from the stands. Stop undermining your kid's coaches. Stop yelling at the umpires. And if you need to, start all over again. Oh. Coaching tip of the week, Don. Sarcasm equals bad coaching. Sarcasm. We have a huge impact in, in the kids and, and the way we approach giving them feedback, I think, is huge. And sarcastic feel is, uh, to me, really uncomfortable. As I receive it that way, that's a, almost a feeling like you're hopeless or, you know, yeah. the, the sarcasm really has a heavy weight to me. And, you know, and a really negative connotation. Yeah, a really or, negative feel to it. Yeah. So as we seem to always be doing, this is another one of those uh, walk down memory lanes, you know, walk of shame kinds of things. Because I think sarcasm is something that has always been like my number one go-to. Yeah, I'm I'm a typically We've sarcastic person. Yeah. yeah, you know I I see things from a sarcastic point of view, and unfortunately, I spent a long time coaching. I still find myself getting caught in that trap periodically. Of when uh, sarcasm is the easiest way to go, that I choose that tool instead of thinking it through and being more positive, more upbeat, more more of a a spin to create less of a negative feel, less of a negative attachment to what I'm saying. And so for all of our coaching friends, you know, we, we have spent a lot of time here this last month or so talking about the idea of, you know, checking yourself, videotaping yourself, listening to yourself. And I think uh, a good rule of thumb here is, you know, the old golden rule. You know, we want to treat people the way we want to be treated. And I know personally, if something is troubling me, if something is challenging me, if there's something that I don't like that's going on, if somebody takes a sarcastic tone with me, that's like takes me to DEFCON 5. I'm like, you know, <laughs> volume gets turned up to 11. You know, the steam is boiling in the pot. It's just one of those things that I know that's how I react when somebody's sarcastic with me. So it makes me really sad to think about all the times I've been sarcastic with players. Well, and two, Tori, you know, we talk about confidence in our athletes. And a lot of times if, if you were sarcastic with me and it was something that I was really confident in, I would think it was funny and... And that would all be, uh, you know, comfortable and cool. But if it's a situation where um, you're sarcastic with me and I'm not really confident in whatever it is we were, you know, joking or teasing about, um, I would really be, you know, pressured and feel uncomfortable. Right. And I think a lot of times these kids, the, the confidence piece is a huge part that's, you know, still underdeveloped and not quite there yet. Right. So the, the sarcasm really pushes them back, I think, a lot unless they're, you know, unless it's an obvious situation that they're they should be already confident in. But, yeah. Well, and I but, think you you just hit on a really important part. You know, you and I sitting around, you know, busting each other up, you know, giving each other a hard time. Sarcasm in that setting, because we're good old friends that have yeah. known each other really well. If I say something sarcastic to you in that setting, 
it's like a, a no harm, no foul. And I think it pours over into right and when we it, go coach. Yeah. yeah, and so, but I think because we get so used to that as a as a form of communication, that then it does carry over, and all of a sudden I'm being sarcastic with a nine year old in a lesson. Right. Like, whoa, wait a second, how dumb is that? Because that nine-year-old has no idea whether my sarcasm is, that's supposed to be funny. I really mean it. Yeah. Or uh, I'm really mad right now, or I'm really disappointed, or I'm you know, getting after you for something. And when you know, I'm, I mean it you know, in a funny way, and you know, just you know, kind of you know, to put it all in perspective, one of my go-tos all the time is I'll say something like, so what's up, trouble? You know, when mm-hmm. one of the kids walks in the cage, you know, and I, so he this, thinks I'm trouble. Yeah, and and yeah. and some of them that are used to it, like, well, you know, I don't cause trouble, and they kind of laugh at it and they think it's kind of funny. Sure. But then you know, there will be that one or two people that I can tell from the look on their face, like, well, why am I in trouble? Like, no, no, you're not in trouble. It's just you know, just a <laughs> you know, little phrase, a little saying, and so you kind of think about it in those ways sometimes. And when you're you know, working with different kids with different backgrounds, different perspectives. Sometimes the things you say and the way you say it can be taken 180 degrees from how you mean it. No, I, and, sar- and sarcasm is yeah. definitely a trap because something yeah. that I think is funny, and I grew up in a world where sarcasm was like your defense mechanism. If you weren't sarcastic, you were going to get you know eaten up and chewed up and spit out. So, right. <laughs> um, so it was one of those things that uh, um, I think kind of set me up for a challenge as a coach. So, so sarcasm. It's not a good idea. It's definitely going to send mixed messages, confusing messages. And for our coaching friends, if you're using sarcasm as a tool, let's find a different tool. Try to switch it up to something that's going to have a little bit less of a potential negativity to it. So, Don, that's going to wrap up episode number 143. We had a really good discussion. Obviously, we want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. That time of year, make sure that you enjoy your time with your family. I know Christmas is going to be a little bit different in the Corona Christmas. Uh, hopefully everybody can stay safe and have fun and uh, and enjoy your time however you need to do it to uh, enjoy your time with your family. So let's talk really quickly about our sponsors. Make sure you check out cleatedup.com. Make sure you check out Nexair, Elite Sporting Goods, and please, as always, check out our patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. You can also reach out to us if you have uh, suggestions, questions, comments at fastpitchprep at gmail.com or everythingfastpitch at gmail.com. And please check out the fastpitchprep.com website. 600 blogs, check out our Facebook page, check out the YouTube channel, tons of stuff, tons of information. I know you're going to have some time here during the holidays, do a little brushing up and a little catching up. So anything else, Don, for 143? No, Merry Christmas to all. Sounds good. So for everybody, please have a Merry Christmas. For Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tory in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. 